And I say, good morning. And she goes, iPad. Welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden. With me is my husband and co-host, Barry Liga. Hello. Hi. So we just came back from something pretty exciting, which is a mini vacation. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was sort of a maxi vacation. Oh, that's true. Because we had different vacations. We had different vacations. Yeah. We, we've already hit that point. I this, know, right? this early yeah. in our marriage, we're taking separate <laughs> vacations. No, I was, uh, it was funny because a few weeks ago, sort of, I guess, early, early August, mid-August, I was really grumpy at work every time someone would come to me with a vacation request. And then one day I was like, why am I so angry every time one of my teammates says they're going on vacation? And then I was like, oh, because I haven't been on vacation and I really desperately need one. So I booked the week of Labor Day and you and I discussed it. And I, if, if anyone knows us, they know I like the beach a little bit more than you do. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so I thought it'd be really fun to take our kid down to my parents' house on the shore for the whole week. But I knew that's not something that you would particularly enjoy. That's that's a delicate way of putting it. Thank you. I've thought about this. Yeah. I practiced. No, so um, basically, so I left you here alone for a few days. I abandoned you. Yeah. Which is awesome Which for is, you. I, and it's funny because you took the car. Yeah. So I really, I really was sort of abandoned. Right? I mean, I was kind of stuck <laughs> in the house. Yeah. Um, and then you, you came down halfway through the week Yeah, and we enjoyed ourselves for yeah. a couple of days. I hitchhiked down. Yeah. Um, but no, it was good. And, and I got to take some time, not just to get writing done, but also to, uh, do some house stuff that I'd been putting off because just never seemed to do the right time with Leia around. Yeah. Uh, so for example, did a lot of work on my office, mm-hmm. put up a new bookcase, things like that. Yeah. So that office was good. Is looking great, by the way. It's slowly getting there. Getting there. It's slowly getting there. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because when I did leave, I was supposed to be driving into a hurricane Yeah, and it ended up being a total wash. There was no problem at all, which is obviously a very good thing. This was hurricane Hermine. Yes. Which, which turned out to be, um, cloudy day Hermine down at the Jersey shore. (laughs) Yeah. There was, they had a whole banner and, uh, music just for cloudy day Hermine. Yes. Um, but it was great. Uh, Leia and I had such a nice time. She got to spend a ton of time with, of course, her mom and her pop pop and, um, her cousins were there the first day. So, uh, because of the fact that her vocabulary has expanded and exploded so much, uh, it's been very interesting since we got back because all she says is I call mama. Right. I call pop up. I call Keen. I call Raina. Um, these are her cousin's names and it's, so funny. And even like when my mom was standing next to her, she would suddenly look at me and say, I call my mom. Right. And I'd be like, she's literally next to you, kid. Turn around and look. And then she would be like delighted that my mom was there. It was very <laughs> funny. Um, but I did want to talk for a second about this insane expansion of her vocabulary. It's been absolutely crazy. I mean, and, and one of the words, of course, that figures powerfully in this new vocabulary of hers is iPad. Oh my gosh. Or as she puts it, iPad. You guys. iPad. Here's the thing. I, ju- I just want to clarify. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen a couple of images of her with the iPad. Um, she's obsessed with dogs. And one day, I don't know, two months ago, I I think she was sick or I don't even know what it was. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to YouTube some dog videos for her. And right. I thought that would really get her excited. 
To this day, I truly do not know how this happened, but somehow on YouTube, she and I fell down this rabbit hole of weird children's videos, and there are a host of insanely weird children's videos. We need to put links to just some of them yes. in the show notes. So you can see so what So that I'm people about. can see this for themselves. And these are videos that have literally like 29 million views. And as... And it's somebody like counting. It, it's literally a hand in front of the camera with water balloons counting and then popping the water balloons. And our kid is captivated by these. And I keep looking at them and being like, who's watching these? How do they have 30 million views? And then I realize our kid alone has probably watched it 200 times. Right. So it makes sense now that they have so many views. This is how our digital overlords are programming the next generation (laughs) to be wage slaves. Yes. Anyway, all this is to say she believes the iPad now is exclusively for watching videos. Right. Um, And our phones are for other things. Our phones have her Elmo app and um, her Mickey Mouse app. And that's, of course, where we FaceTime people, although we do try and FaceTime on the iPad, too. But we've hit the point where I go get her in the crib and I say, good morning. And she goes, iPad. (laughs) Milk. iPad. Because she's been dreaming of the (laughs) iPad all night. (laughs) So because of this and because we're not garbage parents... And we are trying to set some limits for screen time. She's two years, almost two years old. Um, I think we've also entered the phase of temper tantrums. Yeah. So with this amazing vocabulary and with this sudden knowledge she has of what she wants and when she wants it and her ability to express herself, when we say no, things get a little dicey. She gets very upset. Yeah. So I am curious. I I keep meaning to Google... um, like best ways to deal with toddler temper tantrums because I've heard a lot of conflicting methods. Mm-hmm. My gut tell, and this is what I've been doing because my gut tells me that obviously be firm and don't give in, but also talk to her and acknowledge that she's frustrated and acknowledge that um, she's trying to say something or get something and she can't do right. either of those things. And then keep telling her I love her. Um, But while she and I were away and you were here, I think it was the night before you were coming down, she had a temper tantrum like something I've never seen before. I mean, it lasted, I'm not kidding, 20 full minutes. Yeah. And my parents and I were eating and she was supposed to be eating with us and she was literally stomping her feet and flailing her arms and crying and standing there watching us for 20 full minutes. Yep. And I kept in my head, I was like, am I doing the right thing? Like, should I give in right now? But I was like, no, first of all, I've come this far. Like after every, <laughs> after every couple of minutes, I was like, I can't cave now. I can't cave right, now. Right. But, um, but it was just a really interesting, the whole thing is such an interesting well, process. The best thing is that you shot video of the I, temper oh, tantrum. Well, I should, I should add that. Yes. Yeah. Dear listeners, so I did shoot video. Yes. Because I was, it was truly unbelievable in that, that sense, in the real sense of the word, because it was so out of character for her. I know she was very tired, but it was just, it was so funny. And I was like, this is what people are talking about when they say things like my kid had a random temper tantrum in the middle of the grocery store and all the other people hated me. Like, this is why, you know? Right. So this is the the mode that we're in in parenting right now. And it's, it's fascinating because it's also new. Yeah. And I mean, she's still at that age where you can distract her Yes, when she starts to get upset, but you have to find the right thing to distract her with. She's not, she's hip to our tricks now. Right. Right. And you know, it used to be 
for example, when I would be driving with her somewhere and she, she really doesn't like being in the car. Yeah. So after about 10 minutes, she gets a little squirrely in the so, back. So seat. you can imagine the 90 minute solo drive yeah. I had down to the beach yeah. was awesome. So she gets a little squirrely in the back seat, And it used to be even just a few weeks ago that I could say, do you want daddy to sing? And instantly she would go, yeah. And she would tell me songs to sing and I would do the best I could singing those songs. And as long as I sang, she was fine. And then eventually she would just go off and start to play in the back seat and I could stop singing. Now, if she starts to get squirrely and I offer to sing, it's touch or go. Yeah. It, you know, as to whether or not she's yeah. going to actually fall for it. Sometimes she does. Sometimes she doesn't. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, like you say, she's getting wise to our tricks yeah. and it's tough because, you know, she, she does not understand that if she pitches a fit for 20 minutes, that she's going to feel lousy later. Right. She's just like, I'm going to keep pitching a fit until they give me what I want. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's, there's no, there's no foresight yeah. on her part. Yeah. But speaking of singing very quickly, this is another thing that has blossomed in her. That is so cute. Yeah. And it's not something that had been on my radar, but she now sings songs Yeah, and she'll walk around, you know, she sings the alphabet song. Um, she sings her numbers, but she also sings twinkle, twinkle. Yep. And like, uh, Row, row, row your boat. And and she does the itsy bitsy spider. And yeah. it's, again, it, this feel, I know it's not true, but it feels like it happened overnight where she went from saying five words to 500 and like having them make complete sense. Yeah. So, um, I, mean, I, I just really... want to say to all the, like to all the parents of newborns out there or to parents of kids under one, like there's so much good stuff to look forward to. Cause this has yeah. been, uh, you know, I, I've said this on the podcast before I say this in person. Every month I've said, every month of her life, I've said, this is my favorite age. This is my favorite. You have. It's but true. It's I, true. I fully, I firmly believe that almost two is my favorite age. I, so far. <laughs> I keep thinking, I keep thinking of the, an episode of the classic sitcom Scrubs where Turk and his wife, Carla are thinking about having a baby and Turk's not really into it. And Carla says, well, you know, I hear it's like having a puppy that eventually learns how to talk. That's and Turk's funny. like, I'm in. And I, you know. It's just funny because your mother has a puppy, uh-huh. and about three, four months ago, I would say the puppy and Leia were roughly on the same right, level yeah. in terms of intellect and and uh, behavior. Uh-huh. And now, like Leia is far right. ahead, and the puppy's never going to catch of up. Course. Let's face it, the puppy's stuck where he is. No, no offense, Gordon. Yeah. No, no offense to the puppy. You know, he's doing the best he can with what he's got. <laughs> but you can just—it's just really fun to watch as Leia just takes off. Yeah. So I do want to circle back to the concept of vacation, though. Yeah. Because the truth is, I had a lovely week, um, but it's not really a vacation when you're with your kid. Yeah. At this stage, anyway. Right. Uh, You know, I can see, obviously, when um, both of our kids are older and independent and, you know, even 10 or or whatever, like, having much more of a vacation vacation in the sense that one imagines a vacation. But when you've got a toddler, it's just not a vacation. No, no. And it's, um, again, it's fun, but it's just different. And so... I mean, the good thing is you get a little bit of a break. Cause yeah. Because when, when you go away to family or with family, because there is somebody who can who can help out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's not really a vacation. Yeah, I mean, you're still doing everything that you have to do yep. at home. Um, it's just somewhere else. It's just somewhere else. And, you know, someplace sunny is nice, but... Anyway, it's just funny. Vacations are not vacations right now. So let's move on. You have been on a couple of panels recently. You've got a couple more coming up. And I just noticed that someone quoted you um, during a panel the other day. What? Quoted me? Yeah. 
And then you retweeted them because you're that kind of guy. Wow. You know, kidding. you're like my social media like advisor, and you're the one who is always telling me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did. But I liked your I liked your quote, so I wanted to read it and discuss sure. it. Okay. So what you said, supposedly, <laughs> um, this is uncorroborated, at a panel the other day was, like all writing, if you are writing something and are not enjoying it, then nobody else will enjoy it either. Yeah. So this is a lesson that I certainly learned probably when I was writing my, I think my second full manuscript. Because in the first one, I kept being like, well, I got to get through the scene, even though it's terrible and boring and I hate it. And I would do it and it would take me forever. And that's what took me forever to finish the book. And by the second manuscript, I was like, just write what, just write the things I'm enjoying that. Write the good stuff. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So tell us more about that. Yeah. This was a panel. It was for the Slice Literary Conference. I'll put a link in the show notes. And the panel was actually about sex, writing sex. In, in YA, which I have some experience with. Uh, and so I was talking specifically about, about that. But, yeah, I, I think it's a general point, too, and I've said it before. And, and I think the first place I sort of had this drummed into my head was a comic book writer named Mark Wade um, once said something like, uh, if you are bored by what you're writing, how the hell do you think the audience is going to feel? Yeah. Or how do you think your reader is going to feel? And that was sort of a, a revelation for me. Um and I think that I, I think it's true. I mean, when you're enjoying the work, I, I think there's a reason. It's because you're not just the writer; you're also a reader. You are also yeah. consuming it as you're creating it. Yeah. And there are some caveats to that too. Of oh, course. sure, sure. But I think in particular, it's really important advice for um, aspiring writers or writers who haven't been published yet, because I think what a lot of us forget is that this is supposed to be fun. Yeah, I, I mean, it's supposed to be fun, and also I think we've talked about, we've we've alluded to this in the past. There's an, an attitude of if I'm not suffering, it's, it's not, not art. It's yeah. not art, or it's not good, or uh-huh. it's not worth it. And I mean, yeah, there are times where you suffer. There's no question yeah. uh, because it's it is work at right. the end of the day. But you know, if you're miserable, yeah. It shows. That's not good for anybody. Uh huh. Yeah. And I, I maybe it's just a reminder that I needed too, but um, this is supposed to be fun, and it's you're supposed to get some joy out of it and out of the process. And again, it's different if you've you've signed a contract and now you're you're on a deadline and you're having a horrible problem with the plot and your editor has a problem. You know what I mean? Like it's different if you've got all these external forces um, giving you this pressure, but. If it's just you and your manuscript and you have, you're not beholden to anyone yet, like enjoy writing it. Yeah. Get through the, like all of it should be something you're getting a sense of pride out of and joy. I mean, as I've said in the past, you know, I, if I had known that fanboy and goth girl was going to be published, I probably would have slowed down and enjoyed it a little bit more <laughs> because it was the last time in my life that I've written something Unencumbered. That, that was just for me yeah. that, that I didn't think anybody else would ever see. Yeah. And unencumbered is the right way to put it. Uh, you know, everything else that I've written since then, even the things that haven't been published, you know, there have been, I guess, maybe two projects over the past few years that I just couldn't place anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, even those projects, I thought other people were going to read. Yeah. So there was still that, uh-huh. that, that, that pressure and that, that floating around in the back of my head. Yeah. Okay, good. So good advice from your uh, panel on sex, which, by the way, 
that sort of changes the context of this a little bit, which well, I didn't realize. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I what I was saying though, I, you're I, not enjoying that sex scene that yeah, you're writing, but it was, and, but it, that's why it begins like all writing. Yeah, because I I didn't want people just to think I was talking about sex scenes. Right. Like you have to turn yourself on right. in order to write a good sex scene. It helps. But it's that way with everything yeah. that you write. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you write something that scares you, it's probably going to scare a reader. Uh-huh. If you write something that, that makes you laugh, a reader is probably going to laugh. Yeah. And if you write something that turns you on, it's probably going to turn on somebody else right. out there. So, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Cool. Okay. So, sticking with the writing theme. The other day I sent you an article that I found and I just said, podcast, podcast. We have to talk about this on the podcast. Yes. You missed that, you guys, by the way. I was like... I had hand gestures when I said podcast. Yeah, there were some serious jazz hands Uh happening here. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so we've got a link in the show notes to it. It was published on the the Millions by Zan Romanoff, which might be my new favorite name. Uh, And the headline is, there's no such thing as the young adult novel. Now... Dun, dun, dun. I know. Um, Here's the thing. There are so many of those stupid pieces about YA that pop up every other month or so that sends all of Twitter into a frenzy. And by all of Twitter, I just mean the YA community. And, um, <laughs> Isn't this, that all of Twitter? Yes, yes. Um, this is not one of those because with those, I normally roll my eyes and I actually don't even bother reading them because I just don't want to get bogged down in reading about a stupid thing someone said about YA, someone who's not involved with YA right. said about YA. Um, and then hear everyone's responses and yada yada so it's just this sort of never-ending loop but this um i didn't see much on twitter and i really liked it so i wanted to highlight some things sure and we can talk about it so she starts off by saying she is a ya author so already her article is different from the other essays that we've right. seen about this. well we should mention she's a debut ya author yes. her book is about to come out yes. her first book thank you so she begins by saying here's a proposition there's no such thing as the young adult novel Uh, There are, of course, novels written about teenagers and novels that focus on coming of age, et cetera, et cetera. But when you try to define the category, it remains slippery and elusive, difficult to delimit in terms of content, since YA now covers addiction and rape as readily as, and sometimes alongside, first crushes and homecoming dances. Um, Yeah, so I'm, I'm on board with all of that. And then she gets into a bit of the history, sort of, of some of the controversies. And then she talks about her own debut in which she says that some people, particularly reviewers on Goodreads, have accused her of having written a whole new category of novel. Um, quote, young adult for adults. And we should we should say here that she's not claiming to have invented this category. Right. It's just a category that some reviewers believe exists. Yeah. And they are putting her into that category. So maybe it's just me not following these kinds of conversations as closely as I should be or I could be. But this idea that there's YA and then there's YA for adults is really intriguing to me because I feel like that actually um, is kind of what I've been feeling over the past couple of years. Ah. And I wanted to know if you felt the same way too, because it is, I feel very much like there's YA and then there's YA. There's YA and then there's really good YA (laughs) that I want to read. Because if you do, if you go to a, a bookstore and look at the YA section there are some books that are written at a really sort of low level, like Lexile level wise, um, that has sort of, and again, you can say this about literally any genre of book, but, um, insipid plots, like there's sometimes very simple things. Um, and they're right alongside 
very sophisticated, maybe more literary, um, more complicated YAs. And uh, like, I see that a lot when I'm just in my own reading, uh, journey. Um, so I kind of like this idea that maybe we should either get rid of YA altogether as a genre or break it into two huh. YA and YA for adults. I, Controversial. Know, I, I know. I've been writing YA for adults since uh-huh. 2006, baby. Now, um, you know, I, I have famously said that I don't consider the audience when I'm right. writing. So I can, I can say definitively that, that that's not something that, that comes into the equation for me. I understand where this is coming from. Uh, there is, you know, there, there were a few times where, for example, awards were given out to certain young adult books and people that I knew, people in the industry sort of scoffed and said, I guarantee you not a single teenager ever read that book. Right. Yeah. You know, this book was, this book was just loved by librarians and, and which happens with all children, by the way, picture books and middle grade, I believe as well. Sure. Sure. Uh, and, and, and that's why I find it interesting, you know, Voya, um, for those who don't know, we'll put a link in the show notes. That's Voice of Youth Advocates, uh, which is a review source. They do not, the, the way that they do reviews, they give two scores. They give a Q score and a P score, uh, um, going from one to five. And the Q is quality. How good is the okay. book? The P is popularity. Ah. How popular do they think the book will be with teenagers? Okay. I, like I find that. that interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you could have, obviously, you know, a very high Q and a very low P or whatever. But I, I, it is imperfect as are all of course. reviews. But I just find it really, really interesting yeah. that, that they think that way. I think, you know, one of the things she talks about, she cites the, a study from a while back showing that, that something like 80% of YA readers are adults. Yeah, we know it's I at least... Really, I really hate that study. Here's the thing. We know it's at least 50% could be as high as 80. I really hate Why? that study. Because I, you know, I have not done a deep dive on the data, but I don't think it appropriately accounts for the fact that a lot of those units sold are things like Harry Potter, Hunger Games, and Twilight, things that broke out hugely yeah. into the mass culture as movies. And as a result, a lot of adults went out and bought the books to see what the fuss was. Mm-hmm. I don't think, for example, that 50 or 80% of the readers of your average novel published as YA So one are who's not, one that right. hasn't been turned into a blockbuster. Right, right. right. Okay. Fault in Our Stars, Hunger Games, sure. They mm-hmm. became huge. They became cultural phenomena. But like a mid-list YA. But, you're a- yeah. you know, mm-hmm. your okay. average young adult novel is not getting that. So I don't like when people bandy about that statistic because it makes it sound like the entire the entire segment of the market yeah. is skewed in a way that I don't believe it is. Now, okay. like I said, I have not done a deep dive into the data, but... You know, like, like, like Bill Maher says, I don't know it's true, but I know it's true. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, you know, I, I think that if somebody once said YA isn't a genre, it's just an uh-huh. age, it's just yeah. an age category, it's just a shelf in a bookstore. Yeah. And, you know, I have said for a long time that I don't write books for teenagers. I just write books about teenagers. Right. And so I really, I, some of it to me seems to be a tempest in a teapot, but I think it also is indicative of the fact that what we think of as YA really began about 15, 16 years ago, right at the turn of the millennium. Yeah. And I think it's experiencing its adolescent growing pains. <laughs> and I think, you know, I mean, think about it. It's perfect timing. Yeah. The, the industry is a teenager now and it's looking around going, wait, what am I? Uh-huh. Who am I? Am I a kid? Am I a grown up? Yeah. What am I? 
And I think it's natural to have these sorts of questions. Um, at the end of the day, though, what matters is, did you write a good book? Of course, yeah. And and I think that this is something we see with every categorization. You know, um, you know, I wrote a book uh, before Fanboy and Goth Girl that was voodoo and horror and historical and a Western and all and politics and all kinds of weird stuff all crushed together. And what's funny is I think if you told people what it was about, they wouldn't believe you. I think we'll talk about it next week. Oh, okay. I think we will. I meant to talk about it last week, but we did a short episode. So anyway, I wrote this crazy book and I showed it to a lot of people and some of them said, this is really cool. I really like this, but I don't know what shelf it goes on in a bookstore. Yeah. And I always thought, quite frankly, that was bullshit because I was like, well, what shelf does Neil Gaiman go on? Mm. His stuff is a mix of things. What shelf does this person go on and this person and this person? And the fact of the matter is, if you're big enough, they'll figure out the shelf. Yeah. If if you're big enough, you get your own shelf. Yeah. If you're big enough, you get your own shelf. Um, And that that's part of the way that the industry works is is they're trying to break things up into categories. Even, you know, it's maddening because it's not even a question of, you would think going digital would sort of help alleviate that because right. you don't have to worry about shelves. Yeah. But it doesn't. You know, I, I self-published a novel a few years ago as an experiment to see mm-hmm. what it would be like. And even there, even there, even in the vast, endless fields of, of the digital world, you had to put it on a shelf. Oh, well, I you remember, had to go through yeah. and you had to pick three categories. I remember sitting there with you yeah. and there were what out of, I don't know, 30 hundreds. categories. Oh, no, hundreds. hundreds. Yeah. With, with all the subcategories. Yeah. And, and you I'm were like, like what how do hell? I, what do I call this? Yeah. You know, like it's funny, but is it comedy? And in that moment you understood the plight of marketers everywhere. Well, I always understood that cause I used to be in yeah, marketing. Yeah. I mean, I've always understood that, but it comes down to we, and by we, I mean the industry, and but by we, I also mean human beings in general. We're just really bad at this. Uh-huh. We're really bad at picking out the nuances of things uh, and and figuring out the best way to get that information across. Well, and we we need labels to a certain extent. Sure, and labels help. Yeah. So we're so what you're saying is that we're in slight disagreement about this art, this essay. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is that I feel like. It's a topic that people bring up, but everybody's sort of talking around the issue as opposed to straight at it. Young adult for young adults and young adult for adults, those two delineations mean nothing right. at the end Ultimately. of the day. Mm-hmm. At the, uh, you're arguing over, you're not even arguing over what shelf it's on. You're, you're, you're arguing over how you describe it to somebody. And you, well, like you're this, also arguing over who should read it. And right. we shouldn't be dictating who should read anything. Exactly. I mean, I, I think, you know, there, there was a, a something that I read recently, and I can't remember where it is, so I can't put it in the show notes. But somebody was talking about um, uh, some guy had written an article about how there are so many women and young adults right. that as a result, uh, you know, we're, we're robbing boys yes. of the books that they should be reading uh-huh. when, when they're growing up. I remember that one. Okay. I, I, and I didn't read the article itself. I read somebody uh-huh. describe it. Um, so maybe it was, maybe it was not as bad as I'm making it out to be, but whatever. And, and all I could think was, as I said before, that's such bull because when I was a kid back in antediluvian days, there was no YA, Uh there was no category for that. I just read adult books. Yeah. Like you're not, 
you're not taking anything away from teen boys. Like if, if you decided tomorrow that the YA category would be nothing but romance novels for girls, uh-huh. you're not taking a damn thing away from boys because yeah. there are other books they can read. Yeah. And it just really, and in fact, you're hurting girls in that case. Of course. Um, that it, it, it just really bugs me that everybody is so concerned about what do we call this? Yeah. What do we call this? Who is this for? No, publish the damn book. Yeah. Is it a good book? Publish it. And and try and, and just try to get word out about it. And, and hope will that find its it. readers will find yeah, it. Yeah. People, I mean, you know, did anybody, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this because maybe I'm wrong, but you know, when, when Twilight was published and I know that people at Little Brown listen to this podcast, so maybe <laughs> they can chime in at some point when Twilight was published, the first book before anybody saw it yeah. was anybody at Little Brown going, you know what? Teen girls are going to love this, but their moms are going to love it too. Right. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh-huh. I don't think that's what they were thinking when it happened. And it did in a big way and nobody could have predicted it. And it didn't matter that it was in the YA section because mom found it anyway. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, that just drives me nuts. The funny thing about this article though, that you found was that she cites the book uprooted yes. by Naomi Novik, which is the book I mentioned I was reading a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very coincidental. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was funny. Nice. All right. So on that note, we are going to wrap it up here. Oh my gosh. I know. Do you have a book recommendation? Uh, you know what? I can tell you what I'm reading right now. Please do. Uh, because I am preparing for another panel that I am moderating this time. Yes. And the subject is friendship in middle grade fiction. Love it. Which I am having a lot of fun with. And I am reading a book called Save Me a Seat by Sarah Weeks. And I am about to destroy this poor woman's name. I apologize. Gita... Varadarajan. So, uh, I am reading that book. Nice. And I feel bad about mangling her name because one of the points of the book is there's an Indian kid who comes to America and nobody pronounces his name right. So, it's sort of, my, my shame is meta at this point. But there you go. I don't think you bumbled it. I, I don't know. I'll ask her when I see her. <laughs> um, cool. I, just today on the train, finished a book. Um Back in must have been May or June, I was writing a blog post for work about gymnastics books ah. as we were getting ready to celebrate the Olympics. And, um, you know, I have a lot of old favorites, like from the 80s and 90s, but I haven't been keeping up, up to date on my current books about gymnastics. Uh, and this is fiction, by the way. Um, so anyway, so back then I had found a book called Tumbling by Kayla Carter, and bought it back then and just finished it. And it was so enjoyable. Oh, good. It's about, it takes place over two days and it's a group of, um, teenage gymnasts competing for the Olympics. It's, it's the Olympic trials and it's five different points of view from five of the gymnasts. And, uh, I found it very enjoyable. And, um, just speaking of, of YA, I feel like I haven't read a YA in a, um, uh, probably two months. So it was nice to get back into YA. Uh, and I thought it was really cute. If you like gymnastics, even a little bit, I think you'll dig this book. So tumbling by Kayla Carter. Cool. Yeah. So that's it for us. You can visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Give us a follow on Twitter. We are at W I R L podcast. And of course, subscribe to us and rate us in iTunes. We hope you have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.